Oh, I've, I've made three TikToks, Alex. I am oh an experienced God. TikToker. I made three in about May and have never returned. I find it incredibly stressful even opening that app. Dr. Rohin Princess has become a pretty popular voice on the medical YouTube community, even making TV appearances. Why did a cardiologist decide to start making videos? And how has the pandemic affected his video work? I am Alex, and this is Genesis. When you meet someone new and the question about work inevitably comes up, what do you define yourself to other as a doctor that also does YouTube or do you avoid mentioning the YouTube part at all? Like, how do you incorporate that into that conversation? I, I knew you'd ask this because obviously I've been binge listening to uh, all the previous episodes. You would assume that I'd just give the most straightforward answer out of all the interviewees so far. But actually, it depends who I'm talking to, because if I meet someone at a party, you know, those, those things we, we used to go to, I actually <laughs> tend not to say I'm a doctor. Um, I don't know why. I've, I've, I've always kind of done this. And I've got a few different alternative careers that I, I say, if I'm not going to meet them again, then I'll just talk some complete nonsense. But the one that my go-to one that I just, because I can't be bothered to deal with people's questions about health afterwards. So I tend to just say I'm a journalist. I've, I've come up with other ones. Sometimes I said, said I'm a racing driver. <laughs> I, I think maybe it's a, a deep sort of uh, kind of feeling that being a doctor is just this very run-of-the-mill, boring, middle-class profession. But occasionally, I will admit to to being a doctor. The YouTube side of things, I don't think I ever mention at all, really. If it comes up later on, then, then fine. But uh, unlike some of your previous guests who I think have, have struggled with the term YouTuber, I think it's pretty cool. So um, so, so I'm quite happy to call myself a YouTuber, but knowing full well that it's, it's kind of a side gig. So yeah, that's my long-winded answer. Would you rather answer sometimes that you're a YouTuber rather than answering that you're a doctor? Do you think the questions you get there are better? No, I, I think I probably wouldn't. I, I think I'd, I'd rather sooner admit to being a doctor than a YouTuber um, ah. because I my conception of YouTuber is people like yourself, you know, erudite, nice people. And uh, these are the YouTubers that I know. But uh, I think the general perception of a YouTuber is quite different. So people assume that YouTuber means some kind of vapid narcissist uh, who <laughs> vlogs about themselves. And whilst I am a narcissist, I don't tend to talk about myself on my YouTube channel at all. In fact, this podcast is something very different for me. I, I, I try and avoid talking about myself at all. I, yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed listening to these origin stories of, of some of my friends and people I don't know. And I was just talking to another YouTube friend before coming on today. And I was, you know, sent her the link and she was like, oh, yeah, YouTube origin stories. This is exactly my kind of stuff. So, yeah. So I thought, why not? I'll, I'll, I'll make an exception and, and um, talk about <laughs> myself for a change. Well, get ready to talk about yourself for an hour. Let's get to the very start of the story. Where were you born? I was born in New Delhi in, in India, the capital of India, and um, I lived there for the first few years of my life and, and then came to the UK and I've been in London ever since. And the main reason we actually came to the UK was my older brothers uh, got severe learning disabilities. So in the 80s in India, there weren't really the um, resources for, for someone like that with, with special needs. So uh, we felt that well, we, I'm saying we, it wasn't really any decision making on my part because I was an infant. My my family thought that they'd um, get better provision for him uh, in the UK. And at the same time, my mum's sister and her husband also got jobs 
in the UK. So my mum and, and her younger sister were, were always very, very close. So it was a kind of a, uh, all of us went at a similar kind of time. And uh, yeah, and so I've been in London ever since. I'm curious how the experience of being from a family of a culture that is different from the place you grew affected your view of the world, especially because I suspect that that also affects just the way you approach any topic that you talk about online. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the immigrant experience is always quite an interesting one, but you know, clearly that's extremely diverse. Immigration per se doesn't doesn't tell you anything about a person necessarily. For me, certainly, I've uh, stayed very much in touch with, with my Indian roots. And my mum was uh, always very keen for me to, to learn about the history of India and, and culture, although in many ways was not the stereotypical Indian parent in that um, she was very keen for me to be quite westernized and, and um, not sort of married to any kind of traditional stereotype. So I think I had a really nice blend of, of both worlds. My dad is English, but I was, I was raised by my, my mom. So compared to a lot of other uh, mixed race kids, I, I think I'm probably culturally a lot more Indian than some. I've, I've married an Indian and, you know, we're trying to bring our kids up bilingual and, and it's, it's something we're, we're very uh, proud of. So uh, yeah, I, I try and yeah, stay in touch as much as I can. And coming to your question about how I approach sort of topics I deal with and things, I think uh, I do quite quite lean into it a little on the channel. I think it does give a slightly different perspective. I think the educational space in YouTube uh, isn't the most diverse, so I'm quite happy to to you know talk about um, things from a different perspective. And some of my videos have come from India. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely keen to co uh, continue doing that. Was taking the idea of studying medicine something that was characteristic of how you were as a child, or was it something that surprised people around you? Were you the sort of kid in school that excelled or liked or enjoyed the topics that made it sensical for you to study medicine? I, I guess in retrospect, yes. But for me, I wasn't one of those kids that dreamt of being a doctor from the age of six and you know had a Fisher-Price stethoscope and all that stuff. In, in my, my head, it was kind of a spontaneous decision as a teenager, but I probably gave it a bit more forethought than that. But yeah, I think it was a logical progression. As far back as I, I can remember, I, I was interested in science. I'm, I'm not entirely sure where that comes from. I think I was I was always quite sort of mechanically minded. Both of my grandfathers were were scientists. So my mum's dad was a civil engineer in, in India, and my dad's dad was a, a chemist and did a research with radioisotopes um, in the war in the UK. I, I suppose that was my scientific influence as a kid. If I had been better at mathematics, I'm pretty sure I would have done physics at university because that was the subject I absolutely loved at school. But uh, my maths just, just let me down. So I think medicine is this really nice combination of uh, science, but also, you know, humanities, you've got to have some other skill set on top of, of science to to be a good doctor. And I think, you know, I mentioned my brother earlier, you know, he's been a huge influence in my life. And I felt that uh, I'd be maybe of more benefit to him if, if uh, I was in the medical profession. So I think Growing up, looking after him and, and having caring responsibilities from a young age meant that I was I was already kind of thinking along those lines. Uh, but I, don't, I, I can't, I can't get, you know, it's the classic medical school interview question. It's the one we always have to prepare for. So why do you want to become a doctor? 
And I can't even remember what I said now. So <laughs> I was like, you know, I think the guy next to me was filling out medicine on his application form. And I said, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Let me do that. But um, it probably wasn't that like that in real life. How, how was med school for you? Uh, med school was, was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Let's say I, you know, had a minimalist approach to, to work. I uh, knew what I needed to do um, in order to progress. And I've always been someone who can kind of cram very effectively for exams. Um, and university is you know, such a big change from school in that you just have loads more time. So I got involved with loads of other things during medical school, which has started me down the path that where I, I find myself today. It wasn't much video making, although I did get into making um, films in those days and even featured in a few film festivals and, and then won this um, uh, competition that was organized by Canon and Warner Brothers. And uh, we won this big broadcast camera for a, for a short film. And we thought, All right, this is it. We, we're going to become filmmakers and we can, we can uh, be the next Scorsese or something. And um, I think the most I did with that camera is I filmed a few weddings uh, <laughs> for pocket money <laughs> and then ended up selling the camera because just, uh, you know, then you actually do have to start concentrating on work as you, you get a bit further in, in medical school. Uh, I, I've just dug out a few of the videos we made Back in those days, we made a Matrix parody uh, set in the medical school, which is just, I, w I was starring as Asian, Asian Smith. Um, and <laughs> it, it was truly horrendous, but uh, lots of fun. But the, the th my main love at medical school outside of, uh, outside of the work was, was, um, was writing. And so I kind of uh, developed uh, this um, newspaper that went to all the London medical schools and became... The, the biggest um, sort of medical student publication in the UK and uh, was the editor and then sort of stayed on as on the editorial board for a while. And, and we actually ended up winning a, a bunch of uh, awards. And I was had this um, offer to be uh, to have, do some uh, work experience with The Guardian and uh, thought, right, this is it. I'm going to start down this line. I'll be a journalist and do science journalism and and medicine. And then that also completely fell by the way, wayside as well. So actually, you know, now I talk about it, it's, it's, uh, it's just a collection of failed dreams. Um, but uh, then, I, you know, to, to be serious for a second, I, I started working as a doctor and I, I really loved it. So so I just focused on on medicine for, for quite a few years and, and really got stuck into being a doctor. But in uh, more recent years, um, I, I thought I'd try and revisit some of these interests I had and, and, and hence the whole YouTube thing took off. Okay, so I, I want, b before heading into your, uh, your your first attempts at YouTube, which I don't know if I will call it attempts because they look very successful to me when looking back now, how long before that were you consuming content in YouTube? At what part in your life did YouTube became a thing? As a consumer, I mean, not as a producer of content. Probably around 2012, 2013, I guess. That's when I, I can I have recollections of specifically recognizing channels and you know knowing ah I'm gonna follow this channel and, and see what they're producing. But I think up up prior to that, it was just kind of looking up random clips here and there and music videos. I used to do a lot of dancing at university. I was a break dancer and um, used to do shows and stuff. And so that was I think a lot of my viewing online was kind of looking up dance moves and, and that kind of stuff. But then probably, you know, this is not, this is very stereotypical for a kind of science YouTuber, but it was probably Vsauce that was the first channel that I thought, you know, wow, this is, this is something a bit different. Hey, Vsauce. 
Michael here. And here. And I wish, uh, sort of echoing something that Patrick said uh, on, in your first episode, I, if I had one wish, it would be to go back and, and just say, just get started now. Because I, ha- I remember thinking I could do this. And then I didn't do anything for years because I, I already knew how to, to use editing software in a rudimentary way. But it, you know, it hadn't moved on that much from when I was at university. And I, I, I really felt like um, uh, that would have been a good time to start because I was already doing that kind of stuff offline. Um, I was you know, giving talks about interesting medical or scientific facts and, and kind of making them a bit humorous and silly. And that's kind of, I guess, my, my appeal is just being a bit stupid. And um, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I kind of do wish I had started, but probably Vsauce was the first one. I used to watch a lot of motorcycling channels as well in the early days. That, that's another interest of mine. Um, but they've also, I, I've, I can't even think of any now that, I, that I've watched for years. So it's, it's funny how viewing habits change over time. But yeah, I, I, that's probably my earliest mem- memory of YouTube as a thing was probably around 2012, 13. Okay, so after experiencing stuff like Vsauce and actually thinking to yourself, this is something that I could do. Lots of people have a thought. Very few people actually take the leap to try and do it. What drew you to take that leap? What, what was happening in your life? What was in your head when you finally decided, I'm going to create a video and upload it? Yeah, it was, it was a, f- a funny path to it, actually, because I decided um, to just kind of go offline uh, around 2010 and deactivated my Facebook account, which I'd only, I'd only had for a couple of years at that point. And uh, I just thought, I'd, I don't want to have anything to do with social media and all this kind of online nonsense. And then it was only several years later, there was a big furore in the medical profession in the UK when um, the government, long story short, the government kind of made these allegations that doctors weren't working out of hours. And that's why people are dying. And it was, you know, pissed off a lot of um, doctors in the UK and there were all these protests about changing contracts and everything. And, and it was it kind of crept up on me. And I was like, whoa, what's all this going on? So I went to this doctor's website, which I used to check um, a few years earlier, and I couldn't find anything. And I was like, I asked my friends, where are you following this news? And they said, it's all on Facebook, it's Facebook groups and stuff. And I reluctantly rejoined Facebook. So this was about 2015 to, to just follow the news. And I quickly, uh, and, and Twitter at the same time, that was the first time I joined Twitter. And I quickly realized that I'm quite bored of this medical politics. But then I started posting a bit more on Twitter and, and I realized that it's a really useful medium for medical education. So I would post up little scans or little sort of case reports, you know, anonymized, but little teaching cases for other doctors or nurses. Because of the work I do, I have access to those quite fantastic scans, you know, the the heart pumping and this kind of just very cool looking images. So I developed a little bit of an audience quite quickly on, on Twitter and then had started developing this as a a sort of a side project of medical education. And then I decided to do a a PhD. So I I took time out of full-time medicine. So I was just doing it part-time and then doing a a PhD on on the side and had a bit more time on my hands. And so I just thought, why don't I try and turn one of my Twitter threads into a video? And I had this idea in my head for ages, which I, I, I kind of, you know, in a way, feel sad that it was my first ever idea. 
because the video is very amateur, but it's just one of the, the coolest things uh, I've ever heard. It was all about Leonardo da Vinci and how he accurately deduced this very clever mechanism that the heart uh, incorporates um, uh, incorporates to close the aortic valve. Uh, it's, it's this fascinating bit of sort of fluid uh, mechanics. It only was proven 450 years later when some engineers in the 60s built a model and actually demonstrated that the thing that he had just predicted without any way of of looking at this in in vivo without you know he he didn't even really uh, he never did any human dissections and he, we may he may have uh, done some animal dissections and then the MRI scanning that I used in my PhD produces these beautiful images of the blood moving through the, the heart valves, which are all kind of multicolored. And you see these little swirls, these vortices that he um, had drawn in his, you know, that, those fantastic sketches he, he did. You know, this blew my mind that this genius 500 years ago had drawn this sketch, which was just recreated almost exactly by an MRI scanner. 500 years later. So I had this idea in my head for ages. I really want to tell this story to um, other people because even the vast majority of cardiologists have never heard of this. And I actually learned about it from a friend who's an art historian who um, was reading about uh, Leonardo da Vinci. So I just thought this was amazing. And, and then I thought, you know, right, why don't I turn it into a video? And I made it a bit silly. You know, I had a few Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles references in there because it's Leonardo and this kind of silly stuff. And uh, it was, you know, modestly popular. I think I had like, because uh, I, I had this Twitter audience already, so I, I could advertise it to some people. I don't, I, I think I had, you know, maybe 8,000 followers on Twitter, nothing, nothing very big, but uh, it got a, a little bit of traction. And then I made maybe, I don't know, two, two or three more videos and, and really spaced out. I didn't really have an agenda in those days. And then there are three people I credit with kind of really t helping my channel take off. One is Bernard from Chubby Emu, who kind of saw my videos early on and then added one of them to, to a playlist on his channel. And, you know, he was really exploding in, in those days and, and uh, uh, his channel was, was growing very rapidly. Then Brian from Real Engineering, who again kind of uh, spotted me early on and then was instrumental in me joining Standard. And But the, the main person really is Tom Scott. So I'd only had a few videos on the channel uh, at this point and I had about 6,000 subscribers. And I'd been making videos for about a year now, but there weren't many, many videos on the channel, probably, I don't know, five maybe. As you probably know, Tom Scott uh, does this annual thing where he allows guest creators to, to have a video on the channel. So I, I, just, I, I knew this was going to be a golden opportunity. So I, I put my pitch in and I had another fantastic idea that I, I really wanted to share. And, um, and then it, you know, that was, that was it. That was the turning point because uh, from 6,000 subscribers within a couple of days, I had 28,000. Um, after appearing on his channel. We start with Rowan Francis, a cardiologist who runs Medlife Crisis. His video includes footage from his diving trip to Borneo and a couple of jokes that I am deeply uncomfortable with. Rowan, over to you. And then, you know, he, he's very modest. He always says, oh, you know, it, it, it's nothing to do with me. But uh, I, I fully credit him with, with the, the channel taking off and it becoming what it is today, which is, you know, a, a, quite a considerable passion of mine outside work. At what point did the channel grow up to the point 
that it started seeming almost like, as you said, it's a side gig, but it sounds to me at the start that it was simply a hobby in a very sparse, a very casual hobby. Then this thing started to happen. It started growing. It started becoming more serious. At which point did it start feeling like a second job, so to speak? Yeah, I, I, I think that's um, a good way of phrasing it because I, I've used that exact t- terminology on a few occasions. I think probably this year, I think COVID, you know. Um, <laughs> oh, got, right, yes. We, we've got to look at the uh, the silver linings here. You know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have died, but my YouTube channel's got much bigger. So, you know, it's the positives. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, God, so that sounds awful, like I'm making light of the whole situation. But I, I guess one of my roles this year has been making light of the situation. And I think I've been quite conscious of that, that um, I wanted to be a place where I wasn't going to sugarcoat any of the the facts, but I wanted to try and avoid some of the scaremongering, which I find is is inherent to a lot of the media coverage, and to try and talk about the pandemic in a a rational way um, and and really consider the science and you know, tr- try to strike a balance between, you know, I, I, I don't have to explain, you know, the media has been very alarmist this year. And I've found that, you know, this has contributed to the sort of stark polarization. So I think at the start of the year, I probably had about 150,000 subscribers at the beginning of 2020. Uh, I'm closing the year on, on 320 odd. Initially, I, I kind of thought, I'm not sure that I, it's my place to be talking about some of this stuff. But clearly, as as everything really took off in, in January and February, there was no escaping it. And then I realized that actually, you know, maybe I could do something worthwhile here. I'd, I'd never considered my videos to be useful up till then. I thought they would be kind of entertaining, interesting, but I had I'd described them as clinically useless um, beca- <laughs> because I, I, I didn't want to market myself as, as some kind of explainer doctor like you know what is a heart attack what is diabetes because there are a hundred channels that do that and i i wanted to be a little bit different when covid19 happened again i I, th- I thought i could try and fulfill a slightly different role so there have been other channels that have really exploded um this year medical channels who are doing that more explainer role which is very important but again i've, I've tried to avoid that so I've, I've tried to kind of be a little bit more meta in my analysis of of uh, everything this year but yeah, I, I, this is the first time I think this year I felt like almost obliged. And, you know, sometimes when a, a big topic is being discussed in the news to do with coronavirus, I've, I've felt like I feel like I should make a video on this because I started realizing that people are coming to the channel to get a bit of, I, I hope, balanced coverage or to, to get a slightly less say, sensationalist take on things. One example, you know, it was very much in my wheelhouse and it's continuing to be a big story now, this, this whole thing about COVID in the heart. And there have been these really scary news reports um, that people are just dropping down dead from, from heart disease weeks after having COVID-19 with no symptoms whatsoever. Quoting these studies saying that, you know, 78% of people who had even a mild case of COVID-19 have got heart disease which may be irreversible and i was like whoa 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 this 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 sounds crazy so i really poured over all the uh, the the data and and this is very much in my wheelhouse in in fact a very similar field to what my phd was in and i felt like i really need to make this video this is this wasn't one that i 
you know, I try to make topics, uh, concentrate on topics that I find interesting because then researching them is, is just fun. It's just, it's like uh, an incentive to just read about something that I want to read about anyway. But uh, this one, I felt like I really need to make this video because there's a lot of misinformation out there. And, and I guess that's been a big driver this year is, is there's been so much bad medical information um, freely available all over the place that I, I felt, yeah, I, I think I really should try to, to counter this. Yeah, um, uh, adding, adding to that topic, definitely a lot of the videos that I have seen from you this year have been very useful in orientating the conversation regarding COVID with like my family or even very often the, the conversations that we have in private and on the chat regarding like the vaccines that are coming up or so on have been, I think there's like a reverse Dunning-Kruger effect in the sense that all the people who are not doctors uh, feel very confident in reading news or things related to coronavirus and making big conclusions with it. Therefore, but you as being a doctor and actually being in the in the ground floor with this whole thing happening means that you're going to have a perspective that is just way more informed <laughs> than most of us can have and, and uh, actually helps control that information better. Now that we're on the topic, didn't a video you make about the topic actually ended up with you on TV? Yeah, that that that's right. Um, that's a thing that happened. It, it's a thing that <laughs> happened. Yeah, I was on I was on national news uh, on on more than one occasion. So that was a video that that clearly resonated. It was early on in the pandemic, and it was entitled Six Reasons to Be Optimistic." And I could sense there was a lot of fear, you know, and and uh, you know, fully including myself and my colleagues in this, you know, the medical profession in particular, we we were we were really scared and. This was this is a completely unknown thing. So I, I, I'm I'd never suggest that that emotion was was misplaced or you know um, to, I'd never criticize that. But I did feel like this is becoming a kind of snowball effect that it's a self perpetuating cycle. We're getting more scared. We're reading more and more alarmist stuff. Um, and I noticed that the amount of research coming out about COVID nineteen was just unlike anything that's ever happened at any point in human history. And there are now well over 100,000 papers that have come out on COVID-19. And this is ludicrous. I mean, you know, the majority of this stuff is not good quality science. So if you have a bias, which we all do, then you can cherry pick the the data to support whatever situation, whichever viewpoint you you support, uh, you, you hold. So I quickly realized that, you know, people are just losing all objectivity here. And I, I wanted to try and emphasize the facts, what we know and say, look, there are these positive things we can, we can uh, talk about and, and we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that X, Y, Z. I was very conscious that I didn't want to, again, speak outside my expertise here. I'm not an infectious disease doctor. I'm not a virologist. I'm, I'm not a um, public health doctor. And I started the video by saying that exact line. But, you know, I, I, I'm able to appraise scientific data. And this, this clearly sort of uh, was quite popular and um, ended up with me getting calls from, from the news to, to go on TV. And I, I, I said before, it was, it was live, which is something that I've never done before. And it was pretty nerve wracking, to be honest. And I said, look, I, I, I'm not here as a, as a COVID expert. I'm just here to talk about medical evidence and panic and, you know, public attitudes to this kind of stuff. And the whole interview went well. In, in fact, they said it was the, the, the longest one-on-one -on -one interview that they'd ever done on the show. 
but then they, they kind of said, oh, and what is a continuous cough? And started asking me about the, the kind of government guidelines on, on what to do at the time. And then I was like, ah, oh, this is exactly what I didn't want to, to be asked about because I, 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 I'm very aware that there are a lot of medics and in scientists in all kinds of fields, but but obviously I, I look at um, medicine with the most scrutiny. That there are a lot of medics on TV who really just feel like they're capable of talking on anything. And I, I never wanted to be one of those people. I, I don't have any aspirations to pursue a TV career. I don't want to be, you know, the Doctor Oz character sitting there just spouting nonsense. The media is is, is a slippery slope. I realise quickly, and then you know, as soon as they have your name, then you find yourself getting calls. Because I think the way a lot of journalists in, in TV particular work or, or radio is they, they just want someone to that's going to be easily contactable and available. And they just go down a list of names without necessarily appreciating different areas of expertise. So after that, I got all these calls saying, you know, can you talk about shops closing and what are the implications for schools? And I said, look, this is this is nothing to do with me. I, I, I really don't know anything about these things and I wouldn't want to comment because people do put more emphasis on what a doctor says, like it or not. And then, you know, once you reject a few, quickly they lose interest. So that's how fickle the media is. And I feel like the people who really do hanker after a, a TV career just have to kind of say yes to these things. And, and that wasn't something I was prepared to do. So you rejected the idea of being a professional TV expert. That could have been a, a profitable career, a very stressful one. And as you quite put it has its uh, its moral grace but that's a thing that could have happened but that means that i have met so many people in youtube who are doing this only with the idea of eventually jumping to tv or something and i just find it fascinating that you had like a, a somewhat realistic opportunity to do that and you're like eh, no i prefer to be a, a doctor and a youtuber no please no thank you <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, I, I I recall you asking that um, to some of the other guests as well, and and I kind of thought about my views on it, and uh, I, I it's it's a funny time with with social media because there are so many people that clearly are looking for this. I don't, I don't know. They're just looking for fame. I'm not sure they're even necessarily looking for a TV career. They just want fame, and doctors are no different, you know. And yeah, mainstream recognition. Yeah, you know, and and. I'm, I guess, in a very privileged position as a content creator on YouTube in that I've got a job, you know, I've, I've got a, a livelihood. So YouTube for me is very much just something I enjoy doing. Um, you know, income is, is a nice bonus, but it's never been the objective. And so I, I'm, I'm very aware that that's a, a position of privilege that I, I can treat it in a different way to some of my friends. Um, but it also means that I can see all the positives of YouTube, like the fact that I'm in control of my content, I, I can do it whenever I want, and all the negatives of something like um, TV, where you know I may end up saying something I don't agree with or being asked to talk about something I don't know about and operating on somebody else's schedule. So, yeah, it, does, it doesn't appeal. I, I mean, there, there are... Areas I, I could imagine doing something TV related in future, but not that kind of armchair expert uh, on on the um, you know kind of Good Morning TV. And that's definitely not for me. And having said all that, I'm going to sound like a bit of a hypocrite now because this is this is breaking news. I'm, uh, I'm not sure I'm supposed to tell anyone, but I, I'm, I'm going to be co-hosting 
a couple of episodes of, of a BBC radio uh, health program on, on Radio 4 in the UK uh, from January, which is a kind of um, general health topics. But I get to choose what I talk about. So I think I'm still maintaining a little bit of control there. You got all the things. You got the the TV, the YouTube, the creative control. You, you, you won at every... At every level, <laughs> marvelous! Congratulations. I need to. I need to figure out a new media to expand into now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's always TikTok. Oh, I've I've made three TikToks, Alex. I am oh an experienced God. TikToker. I uh, I made three in about May and have never returned. I find it incredibly stressful, even opening that app. I don't know how people tolerate it. It just, it's just not for mm. me. Um, but uh, I have nothing against it. It's just not for me. <laughs> How have uh, your peers reacted to your growing internet presence, especially when you were literally getting requests to interviews in TV? Because what was the, the fact that you were doing YouTube a bit of a joke at the start? Did they took a while to warm up to the idea? Just how are you treated in your day-to-day -day job regarding this matter? That's, that's an interesting question. Initially, for ages, I didn't tell anyone. I don't know. I, I just found it kind of embarrassing, <laughs> and I just uh, I, I kind of almost tried to hide it from anybody at work. And then um, during the PhD, you know, when I wasn't in sort of full time work, I could kind of fly under the radar. But that's when things started taking off. I had a very surreal moment when I'd uh, done a procedure on a on a patient. She'd just had a big heart attack, and I'd, I'd uh, done an angioplasty on her, and she was a little bit unstable. She'd gone up to the intensive care unit, and then I was going up to check on her later, and this this guy kind of accosted me in the corridor, and he said, "Are you are you Dr. Rohan?" And I said, uh, "Yeah," and I and I, I thought, "Oh God, what's happened? Is you know, have I have I killed this patient or something?" And he goes, <laughs> "Hey man, I, I love your YouTube channel," and uh, it was the patient's son. Uh, who ended up being a, a fan of the channel. And I was like, this is really weird. Like, uh, you know, my, my two worlds have now collided. Just to fill you in, his mum did absolutely fine, I'm, I'm happy to say. Uh, then I thought, oh, wow, this is actually a bit strange. And then I was teaching medical students um, in, uh, in London, and loads of them knew. And, and that, I guess, made more sense, because obviously, you know, medical students are likely to be more interested in this kind of stuff. And when I c came to my current job, in Essex, just outside. I live in London, but I work just outside London. By this point, I, I, they already knew me before I started um, via via YouTube, and th their reaction has been fantastic. Actually, like they're really supportive of it, and it's led to me doing some projects with works that are more serious, kind of medical um, topics. Which, which I think there's there's two schools of thought. There are some people who are just very traditional. And in my previous work, I think they kind of looked down their nose and just thought this is a bit silly. But in my current work, they're really supportive of it. They can see that this is a, a skill set that's quite unusual in a doctor. And there's lots of potential to actually combine the two areas. So, so I'm, I'm very lucky to work where I do now. I think they're, they're very nice about it. I, I still get loads of piss taken by my colleagues. You know, when I come in the morning, they go, oh, check it out. I can I have an autograph. You know, it's the YouTube superstar and all this kind of stuff. So I, I get a lot of grief. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I around you guys, I consider myself the YouTube minnow. So I, I always feel like if I bring one of the uh, million plus subscriber friends I have, then they'll, they'll just they'll lose their minds. But um, uh, it's, it's funny because in my in my region of the country that I'm not there are two other 
big medical YouTubers. In fact, like probably the three of us are the biggest in the UK, biggest channels. And we're all in a quite a, a tight geographic region. So we've all met up with each other a few times. And we would have probably done some collaborations this year had, had COVID not happened. Uh, but there seems to be a little pocket of medical YouTubers in, uh, in this part of the UK. That is fantastic. So what is your hope for the future of your channel? Are you going to continue doing it as a, as a side gig as you have done so far? Any grander or bigger plans for the future? Or do you just want to continue specializing on medical chit posting? Yeah, that, that's, that's a passion of mine. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, memes and medical shit posting is what gets me out of bed in the morning. I, I yeah, I, I don't know really, Alex. I, I, I'm not sure I've got any any definite aspirations. I've got a list of ideas uh, that I add to. You know, anytime I think of a video idea, it's it's well into the hundreds now. So I, I, I'm not going to run out of content anytime soon. I don't think. Um, but uh, I think I would like to move to a slightly more polished kind of product. I think this year I've I've some of the videos have been pretty basic because I've just tried to get them out quickly because they've been kind of topical. There are some kind of big ideas I'd like to make slightly more in-depth stuff. And then I want to kind of um you know you mentioned shit posting but but I I I do want to keep up my kind of comedy stuff. So, you know, stand-up live gigs this year have have been non-existent obviously. So I, I'm thinking about maybe making some shorter format, kind of a bit sillier stuff. I don't know. I'm just, it's just, it's just, I'm going to keep it fun as long as I can. I definitely want to keep, keep it going and, and keep it growing without any particular end goal. Just, just, just because I'm enjoying it. So final question, since you seem to be so popular among med students, if any of you are listening to you and looking at your videos and finding it uh, as a sense of uh, a source of inspiration the same way Bezos was for you or any of the other medical YouTubers, what will be your key advice to them? Or alternate question, if you could go back in time and give yourself like a key advice on how to run your channel, what, what will that be? Um, buy a good microphone early on. I think that's <laughs> it's, it's as basic as that. I'll, I'll, that's the second question. Uh, it's it's a straightforward answer. To be honest, you know, th there's there's a, always going to be an element of kind of survivorship bias. But I, I I feel like I haven't made any massive missteps along the way, except maybe a couple of videos. I took one video offline that I, I wasn't happy with. It was just after the Tom Scott appearance, so I wanted to get a video out quickly and. I made a video, which I think I could have researched a bit better. I don't uh, disagree with any of the things I said in the video. It was about the carnivore diet um, and I, saying why, why I don't think it's a very good idea. But I think it, was, it could have been argued a bit better. I tried to stick to this you know, formula I had of being less than 10 minutes in length. Well, I think it was about eight minutes. So I, I felt like that was the optimum duration. So I think if... And and I I also didn't realize how toxic a lot of the diet world is online. So I, I kind of maybe would say if you're going to go into something that's a little bit controversial or has very trenchant uh, opinions and tribal camps, then just make sure you're you're very rigorous with your your research and don't don't rush it out. But other than that, I don't think I've got uh, sort of too many things that I would change too much aside from, as I said earlier, just starting much sooner. In answer to your first question, I think I think that's a really interesting one because 
I get these comments a lot from medical students and also um, high school kind of A-level students. And I always feel very uncomfortable about being anybody's kind of role model or inspiration. I, I, you know, I'd want people to be inspired by the the topics I talk about, but I'm always a bit nervous about kind of this parasocial aspect to um, to social media. And some of the sometimes, you know, people say, "Oh, I I want to be just like you" or something. I'm like, "No, you you really don't. Trust me." (laughs) Like, and um, I, I I I don't really know how to deal with some of these comments. And it makes me laugh because, you know, there's obviously a very aspirational nature to, to medicine. A lot of kids will dream of, of being a doctor. And, and, and that is clearly why it's so popular in, in popular media, in you know, why there are so many doctor TV shows and movies and everything. Um, but what was the number one most desired career in a recent survey of British teenagers oh, no. was YouTube. Um, that's what their number one uh, ambition is now. So. I've kind of got this unholy combination of of the traditional, <laughs> you know, the traditional kind of aspirational career and the new career. So and soon the TV career as well. Well, I mean, t- TV's dead, right? I mean, you know, the the kids these days they don't care about TV. The g- generations <laughs> there, they're they're not interested in in being on TV. So uh, if I had to say anything to them, I would say that people get very hung up on how much work something is, like how much work medicine is. You've got to work really hard. And if you look at about a, a lot of social media accounts about for medical school, and it's all, always about studying and work and everything. I, I feel like saying, you know, there's loads more to life. And obviously, you've got to do the requisite amount of studying. But I think a good doctor is someone who maintains a lot of outside interests and reads widely and, and is, is that kind of rounded person that we all pretend to be in, in interviews. But uh, in reality, people do tend to get a bit blinkered. So, so I think uh, the main benefit to me of having this hobby is just having something outside medicine that I really enjoy. And I think that's what I'd advise budding medical students or, or any, anyone who's studying for a vocational kind of uh, degree is make sure you've got something outside that you can enjoy. Okay. Thank you very much for this. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. 